0: and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Let's pray. God, uh, for that to do anything in our hearts, for, for your word to do anything to us, it's gonna have to be you. So would you show up? Would you give us your grace this morning to... Show us everything you have for us in your word. Would you give us today our daily bread? We thank you for it, and we thank you for your word, and it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask. Amen. Uh, Growing up, my brother Isaac and I did not get along very well, Um, as you can see by this picture. You can just see how happy we are (laughs) on opposite sides. Um, And just so you can see our faces a little bit more, we're going to zoom in. On each face here. Um, so the first one you can see, he's just a, he's a little upset. Um, and then the next one, obviously, um, so gangsta, right? Like, <laughs> just trying to be, legal. But uh, we were just we're, we were polar opposites in everything we liked and enjoyed, and we just frustrated each other to no end. Um, I was always in trouble. Isaac was just always obedient. He was a very good kid, um, and I always wanted to, I, like, I wanted him to go outside so that we could play a sport or something. But he just wanted to rebuild a computer or a hard drive or he like figuring out the laws of of metro physics. is metrophysics a thing no yeah isaac would know isaac would know um i have to make words up i guess he would know those words um but we just spoke different languages for a really long time um until one day and i don't remember the exact circumstances like what the issue was but i remember that isaac and i were both in trouble and that was rare because it was usually just there by myself alone um, so this bonded us together as brothers. Like we had a common enemy now, the parents. <laughs> it was just a beautiful picture of loyalty and overcoming obstacles and, and metrophysics, physics, apparently. <laughs> um, but so my dad's idea to get through to my brother and I, whatever uh, we did wrong, um, was that we had to skip dinner. Like that was our punishment. Now, I could have gotten 100 spankings. I could have been grounded from my phone for months. Uh, but don't take my food. My food. You're kidding me, right? Like, take my life, don't take my food. Um, is that how that saying goes? Or is it take my eyes, don't take my food? Anyway, it's probably something to do with metrophysics. Um, but so Isaac and I hatched a plan to get our dinner back. We grabbed some note cards and some pins. Um, and we wrote some stuff on the note cards, and then we grabbed some tape and we taped it to the pins. So we had these little bitty picket signs, and we we're going up and down the hallway like it wrote, "We want food!" on it, and we're just chanting up and down the hallway. Um, and at this point, it had been two hours since our last meal, so we're like we're starting to fade. Like it was just, it was crazy. Um, but so like like Isaac in the passage that we just read, like this was our time of famine. Uh, I know, I know. In all, in all seriousness though, uh, our boy Isaac and his family are in a real time of famine, uh, not for just a few hours, and these times of famine were brutal. Like no water, no vegetation, uh, nothing. Like it caused nations to just leave their homelands, like that, those types of famines. But a famine was also, per God's word, God's judgment and discipline on humans on behalf of their disobedience. So this is Deuteronomy chapter 28. Um, It says, But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. What are those curses? The Lord will strike you with drought and with blight, which is a plant disease, um, and with mildew, and they shall pursue you until you perish. The Lord will make the rain of your land powder." From heaven, dust shall come down on you until you are destroyed. So now you guys have a good sense of what Isaac and I were going through. Like it felt like that. But here's the thing God's judgment and discipline in this way is not a bad thing. Yes, a famine is a really tough ordeal, and discipline really does hurt in the moment. But Hebrews uh, chapter 12, verse 5, says, My son. Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. The one he loves. So just think about your son or your daughter or your little brother or little sister or even just a small kid that you love. They're walking out into the street where cars are zooming past Who stands there and says, well, I'm going to let them learn their lesson on this one? Nobody. You go and grab the kid by the neck, I mean the arms, and you pull him away from the street and you get him out of there. Like for that kid, you're taking away their joy, their happiness and and all that. But for you and for everyone with a brain, you just saved their life. It may not feel like a loving act, but it is. So God disciplines those He loves to bring them back to himself, to bring them into safety, to pull them away from the death that they are leading, um, that their sin is leading them into. So throughout scripture, uh, God brings famines, earthquakes, sulfur from heaven, times of struggle and hardship, leprosy, blindness, uh, thorns in the side, and even war, and God brings these times of famine to bring his people back to himself. And that's exactly what he does here in Genesis 26 as well. God brings famine to the land where Isaac is living to bring Isaac to a bit of a crossroads. All ultimately just to bring him back into relationship with him. And the, <clears throat> the truth here is that God will bring times of famine and discipline to you and I as well. The rest of Hebrews 12 says this, it is for discipline that you have to endure suffering. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? For what son is there whom his father would not go grab out of the street? You and I are sinful sinners who sin, but if we are believers, then God is going to use different means of this fallen world to discipline us as children in a loving way just to bring us back to him. So how? Um, God's gonna allow circumstances outside of our control, outside of anything that we can do that is gonna affect us. So maybe our health starts to decline. Maybe our marriage is in a place of constant stress right now and all we can seem to do is argue. Maybe we have kids who make picket signs after missing a meal for two hours. Maybe God brings to life the worst nightmare we have. It will feel overwhelming and out of our control, but it is not for nothing or so that God can just squash us like a bug. He grabs us from the street of zooming cars to bring us back into safety and a right relationship with him. God brings the famine ultimately to bring people back to himself. So how does he do it? Uh, What we're going to see just from Genesis 26 is that when times of famine come, God gives commands, God makes promises, and God provides the means. So God gives commands, God makes promises, and God provides the means. So God is going to bring us to the point of famine. And when that happens, um, he's going to first show up so that he can give us commands to follow that are loving, that will lead us further away from the death that we are going into in our sin, Um, just to bring us back into safety. And then he's gonna show us the promises of what is to come, of of if we do obey. Um, And then lastly, to show us over and over again that it is by his work and power that we see any of those promises, not our own. So let's just take a look at the first thing God does. He arrives on the scene in verse one. Nope, verse two, but we're gonna look at verse one. Now there was a famine in the land besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. So we started in Genesis 12, however many weeks ago now, um, where God just came to a man who used to worship the moon, um, and he told him, hey, leave your homeland, your people, everything you've ever known um, for the last 75 years, and go to a land that I will show you one day, and you'll have a kid one day as well. So uh, with this kid, I will bless all of the nations of the earth. Through your lineage, I'm going to bless all the nations of the earth. I will bring people from all across the globe to saving faith through you and your lineage. And the man goes. He's never heard from this God before, but he just goes. He, He says, yeah, all right, let's go. And it's a great moment of faith. But then six verses later, not that long, our boy hits a time of famine. And instead of trusting God, he panics. And uh, the text says he goes down to Egypt, and as he went physically, so he went morally. In sin, he went down. Uh, So here we are over a century later, and God brings another famine to Abraham's son, Isaac. Just like his dad, he panics. Instead of staying in a land that is tough to live in and trusting God to show up and provide, Isaac says, man, I got to get out of here. So uh, that's where we get the rest of the verse. And Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, and the Lord appeared to him. So Isaac panics in this moment, but God steps in to help his boy. Um, And he says, do not go down to Egypt. I I think that's so funny because that's what Abraham did. He's like, whatever you do, just don't go down to Egypt. Um, But don't go this way. Like it's not gonna end well for you. There is a better way. And then that's why we get the rest of the verse. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you sojourn in this land, and thus right there, like we see three commands of God, um, and the better way like, that God is talking about here means following these three commands. The first is, do not go down to Egypt. So remember, going down to anything, like when we see that in scripture, is sin. Um, so God is calling his people to forsake sin. He tells them, do not fear this famine, fear me. Do not trust the plenty of Egypt or of any of the places around you. Trust the unseen provision that I will give to you. Egypt will not deliver you, I will. For us, uh, that mirage in the distance that looks like the, the oasis of comfort um, and joy and happiness, if we can just retire, if we can just make a little more money, if we could just get our kids to stop being so dramatic, if we could just look a little more thin, if I could just get my husband or my wife to stop being a sinner, huh, That would be great, but all of these things are our Egypt. When we look at those things and we desire them more than we desire a relationship with God, they become our counterfeit gods. It's idolatry. God is calling you and I to trust him more than those things, more than money, more than success, more than a perfect marriage, more than perfect kids. Trust him over the plenty of our Egypt. Those things will not deliver us, God will. So what is your Egypt? What is the sin that you turn to in times of famine? What can you give up to trust in God? But then he goes on uh, with another command when he says, dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. So this is very simply, live by my will. If you aren't sure of something, if you have a big decision to make, if a famine comes and you feel yourself panicking a little bit like these guys, remain in my will. Do not go to places you know I have not called you to and do not remain in a place where I have not called you to. I think I read that right. That's a confusing sentence. Uh, So with our foster daughter, Scarlett, I mentioned to you last week that I want nothing more. Like everything in me wants to adopt her. But if that's not what God's will is, it's terrible. Like if she stays in my will and not in God's, that's the worst thing for her. She is much safer there. And Leah and I are much safer there if she does get to go back with her parents. But I want nothing more than to adopt her. But we have to stay where God's will is. We have to live there. We have to dwell there. Literally live there. So what can you do to, to make sure that you remain in God's will? Who can you reach out to to help disciple you and to help you remain there? Because a lot of times what it, what it looks like is, hey, hey, Uh, you read your Bible, you you have a relationship with Christ. What do you think about this? What is your take on this? And a lot of times, God will show up in those moments and just say, yeah, here's the answer. But it comes through discipleship. So, uh, who can you reach out to say, hey, will you disciple me? But then also, who can you disciple to do the same for them? And then lastly, the third command from God uh, is to sojourn in this land which is completely different from dwelling. Literally translated, it means live as a stranger or be a guest. This means we are to set our affections and our hopes and our minds on what is to come. For us, no. This land in which we live is fine and all, but think of what is to come in heaven. So the the best way I know to describe what what we're supposed to do here Um, is to let someone very wise do the talking. Hey, where'd you come from? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the better question is, where are you going? Oh, someplace wonderful, mister. Where, where you... You didn't happen to catch the song I sang a few minutes ago, did you? I didn't have the pleasure. To recap, I want to live in some beautiful place outside, a carefree place where I don't have to hide or worry. (laughs) Woo! (laughs) <laughs> a life without worry. You seek hakuna matata. Hakuna tamata? Hakuna matata. It means no worries. Perfect. Mind taking that stick of yours and drawing me a map up? Oh, hey! To find it, you must look beyond what you see. What the heck is that supposed to mean? It means look beyond what you see. Beyond what I see. (laughs) I actually had to go way back in the Disney archives for that one. That's Lion King one and a half. They have that. That's a real thing. Um, I'm glad they don't do halves anymore. But uh, look beyond what we see. Like there is a land. Look beyond what we see. What is beyond what we see? Uh, This is Revelation 21 describing exactly what is to come. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away and he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Now, America is pretty cool sometimes, but nothing like that. There is a land, look beyond what we see is sojourn here. Be, we must live as sojourners. We must live as a guest, as a stranger here on earth so, because since this isn't our home, we can live radically. We can disciple, we can evangelize, we can confess sin and glorify God and serve the church and uh, tell other strangers about this homeland that's waiting for them. Uh, we won't be here forever. And so with that in mind, we can do bold things for the sake of Christ for other people. So how can you live radically today? What can you do to remind yourself of your status here as a stranger? So the famine comes, God shows up, he appears, and these commands are what God is calling Isaac and us to in it, do not go down to sin. Live in my will and be a stranger here. And that's not all, God doesn't simply call us to obey commands for the sake of obedience, like he's pressing us under his big thumb, um, there is a promise to the obedience, which is point two. There's a blessing that comes when we obey these commands and God spells them out for Isaac as the promises to him, starting in verse three. Uh, and Sorry, we're gonna start with verse two. Uh, and the Lord appeared to him and said, do not go down to Egypt, dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land. Um, and then here's where we're just gonna walk through the promises. The first one, I will be with you. If you abide by these commands, then I will be with you. The God who created the planets, The God who breathed out and just spoke into existence everything. The God who made a tadpole and Jupiter. The God who moves mountains and who crafted the hummingbird. The God Almighty, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end is with you. Like you could stop right there and that's the most amazing blessing in history. But like a father just lavishing his kids with gifts, he doesn't stop there. Uh, I will be with you and I will bless you. The second promise is just as amazing as the first. Not only will God be with me, he's gonna walk with me and keep me from trouble and he's gonna lead me beside still waters. He's gonna bless me and he keeps going. To you and to your offspring, I will give all these lands and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father, all of the lands of the earth. They will one day be ours and our offspring, the new heavens and the new earth. Like when we become Christians, when we are saved, it's not just a saving from sin, although yes, we are saved from sin, but it's saved to heaven, a new heaven and a new earth. These lands will be ours. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands. So offspring here um, just describes both physical descendants and those who are recipients of a spiritual inheritance. So, i.e., all of our children, the ones we love so much and the ones that we would die for, but then also those whom we have spiritually invested in, those that we have discipled. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So there is a blessing of salvation and the good news is for everyone to hear about. How? Through telling others about the gospel through explaining the gospel to a friend or a neighbor, through discipleship, through the passing on of everything we know and have spiritually to other people who then can disciple other people and then we have this branching out that goes everywhere, reaching more and more of the nations. So then the question comes again, who are you discipling? Who can can disciple you so that you can then disciple others? So the famine has come God appears, gives us commands, and he makes us promises, and these are amazing things so far. But here's the bad news. You and I do not obey one of these commands perfectly, let alone the three, let alone the ten, let alone the whole Bible. We need help. We need help to be able to see those promises come true, but that's exactly what God gives. God provides the means. take a look at verse 5. All of this, the famine, the commands, the promises, all of it is extreme mercy from God because he is just and righteous um, all on his own. Like he does not have to do any of this. This is gracious from the Father, but why does he? Why is it that all of this happens? Verse five, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So there's a piling up of the words that all mean the same thing. It's just being obedient, being perfectly obedient. Um, they're just piled on to make the point that Abraham was a perfect servant and because of his perfection, God can have mercy and grace on his son Isaac and then so on and so forth. But hold up. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge and my commandments, my statutes and my laws. No, he didn't. Like if you've been going through this journey of Genesis with us, we saw that week after week. He went down to sin in Egypt. He lied to Abimelech. Um, He didn't intervene on behalf of Sodom. He gave up his wife to save his own skin. Like Abraham didn't obey God's voice. What gives, Bible? But this is just where it gets even more amazing. Why is it that God's inspired and breathed out and perfect word to us that Abraham obeyed perfectly when he didn't? We actually have to roll back to Genesis 15. You don't have to turn there, but Genesis 15. 15.6 says, Abraham believed the Lord and God counted it it to him as righteousness. Abraham believed the Lord and God counted it to him as righteousness. How is this even possible? How is it possible that an imperfect and sinful man like Abraham can be counted as righteous? Uh, Romans 4.20 says, uh, speaking of Abraham, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised, that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. What made Abraham a perfect man who obeyed God's voice and kept his commandments and his statutes and his laws was not his ability to do any of those things. It was his faith in God. It was not based on Abraham's ability, and so that means that it's not based on our ability either. If you just look back at the... um, at the passage where we just walked through all of those promises. Sojourn, so verse three, sojourn in this land and I will be with you and I will bless you. For to you and to your offspring, I will give all these lands and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands and in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And do you see who does the work there? It's not us jesus said in his own words uh, nope not there yet sorry uh, here in verse five really is what we see is just a picture of the gospel this is how the passage lays out with the gospel in mind i will be with you and will bless you why because jesus obeyed my voice I will give all these lands to you and to your offspring. Why? Because Jesus kept my charge and my commandments. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. Why? Because Jesus kept my statutes. I will bless the nations of the earth. Why? Because Jesus kept my laws. Jesus said it in his own words. I have come to fulfill the law. Why? Because the bad news is that we aren't able to. When we have faith in Jesus, we gain the perfection of Jesus, fulfilling the law on our behalf as a gift, and when the Father looks at you, and when the Father looks at me, he sees nothing but the perfection of Jesus Christ. There's nothing left to punish. Jesus took on the punishment of our sins. The reason famine is discipline and not punishment, the difference there is that Jesus has taken all the punishment. All that's left is loving reproof. Jesus saw the famine that you and I may see the plenty. Jesus was broken that you and I may be made whole. So the truth is, times of famine are still gonna come. And discipline will come for you and I, especially if we're believers. Like the Bible has nothing but, hey, you're gonna suffer. Hey, you're gonna suffer, but trust in me. So these times are gonna come, but we must remember that God is just simply calling us back to faith calling us to believe yet again in this gospel, calling us yet again to the joy of our salvation because the reasons that we leave God's will to go down to our Egypts, whatever those are, they're all wrapped up in a lack of faith. God brings famine so that we might lose all that we have, all that we see, all that we have hope in so that we may look to the only true hope. So in these times when our spiritual well is dried up and wrinkly, and it seems like um, all of the lands of plenty are all around us, but just not on our land, when the famine hits hard, and we just we sit back and we wonder, like, man, God, I know, that, I know that you're there, but man, it doesn't feel like it right now. now. What are you doing? Let us remember this gospel. Job five says, "Behold, blessed." is the one whom God reproves. Therefore, despise not the discipline of the Almighty, for he wounds, but he binds up. He shatters, but his hands heal. In famine, he will redeem you from death. One day, you and I are gonna see these promises of what we just read come to fruition. We will look and see nothing but the new heavens, the new earth. And can you even imagine, like what does a perfect mountain look like? Like that's gonna be amazing. What does a perfect beach look like? That's gonna be amazing. We're gonna be surrounded by all of our offspring, all those we have passed on, everything we have in discipleship, all of our children. Uh, We're gonna be surrounded by men and women from every tongue, tribe, and nation. It's gonna be so diverse. And then most importantly and most amazingly, God will be with us and he will be our God and we will be with our God. We will spend eternity with God in this new land with all of those who were made righteous by faith in Jesus Christ and it's all because of Jesus. All because of his work on the cross. That's why we sing what we do. That's why we are gospel-centered as a church. That's why we love. That's why we forgive. That's why we honor God. That's why we glorify God. It's because of Jesus. It's because of that work that he did on our behalf. So... Uh, one just interesting thing to think about is that when, uh, when God is writing his word and he looks at Abraham and he says, No, Abraham, he obeyed my voice. He did all of these things. When you and I have become believers, when we have faith for the very first time, that's us. When we get to heaven, when we see Jesus face to face, it's going to be, You obey my voice. You kept my statutes, my laws, my commands. And it's gonna be because we are covered in Jesus. So as a picture of this day, uh, when you and I are there together, we're gonna take communion together. When you and I uh, hold the emblems of the body and the blood, we hold the physical representation of this good news. We hold the body which was broken for us to take on the punishment and wrath of God on our sin, and we hold the blood that now covers us so that when God looks at you and I, he sees nothing but the work of Jesus. So if you're a believer, uh, you're welcome to the table. But if you are not a believer or if you are in unrepentant sin, I ask that you remain in your seat. First Corinthians says that uh, you eat and drink in an unworthy manner. But if you are in unrepentant sin, believe the gospel again today that you have been made righteous already in faith, there is no condemnation or wrath left for you was poured out on Jesus. If you're here and you are not a believer, there is a blessing of the life to come that you can have secured on your behalf. And you just saw how it happens. Through faith in Jesus Christ, there is no wrath left for you either if you turn from your sin and believe today. But do not leave... Do not leave here today, this morning, without taking time to just talk to God about it. Just ask him for help. Ask him, God, would you save me? He wants to do it. He died to make it happen. You too can be a part of something like that blessing we just talked about. Uh, For all of us, let's believe the gospel of Jesus Christ today. Let's have faith in Jesus again today. So take your time. Uh, just pray, do whatever you need to do, and then when you're ready, grab the elements, bring them back to your seat, and we'll take them together here in a minute, but as we sit, here is our prayer. Father, I confess that I am never going to be in a right relationship with you on my own. I confess that I need this body and this blood. Would you, by your grace, remind me of this gospel every day, that when the famine comes, I know exactly where to turn, Thank you for your grace to me in Jesus. How do we know that these promises will come to be for sure? God said that he would do these things, but how do we know that he will? Because he already has. In Jesus, we have the promise in the flesh and we get to spend eternity with Him. All because on the night when he was betrayed, We thank you for the good news of the gospel. And also, we thank you for the bad news of the gospel and that there was nothing that we could do, there's nothing that we could not do, but it's solely based on what Jesus has done. What a grace, what a gift, God. Would you never let us forget that? We are prone to wander, prone to forget. God, would you never let us forget it? As we walk out these doors today, would you let us be changed by it yet again so that we can do just like we sang before, like be more like Jesus? Would you make us more like Jesus? We thank you for the eternal security that we have in Jesus of of one day we're going to be with them forever. And we know that because uh, it's not up to me. It's not up to any of us in this room, but it was up to what you had to do and you did it. We thank you and we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.